Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Um, I want to continue on from what Pastor Christian preached last Sunday, which was all about connection. And as a church kicking off a new year, I'm sure you've heard by now a lot in the language that we're using is that we want you connected. We want you connected in. We want you connected into the life of this church. We want you connected in with God. And we want you connected in with our people. And so the title of my message this morning is this, Never Stand Alone. Never Stand Alone. And I think the idea or feeling of loneliness and isolation is probably one that we don't talk about as much as we should. I don't think it gets as much um, prominence or center stage as I guess a lot of other issues facing our society today, you know, drug and alcohol addiction, domestic violence. I mean, right now, disease controls happening. So, but I think the reality is this, never before have we as a, as a world in humanity be at, been as connected as we are, right? Never before have we had so much access instantly to endless amounts of entertainment, technology, social media. Yet for as connected as we are, there is such an epidemic of loneliness and isolation in our young and old people. Right. And so a paper published in the Association of Psychological Science by a psychologist, Julian Holt-Lunstead, describes some of the effects that isolation and loneliness are actually having in, in our community. And I thought it was quite interesting. In the study, it suggests this, that the health risks associated with loneliness and isolation are comparable to the dangers of smoking and obesity, right? That they increase mortality or death risk by up to 30% when sustained in somebody's life. In fact, just that feeling alone, uh, just feeling alone in and of itself increases the risk of death by 26%. And a study conducted by Dr. Lundstad reports this, that loneliness is as lethal over time as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness affects more than one-third of American adults. Loneliness has negative effects on mental health. It worsens depression and anxiety, mood disorders, cognitive decline. It affects our physical health, so it leads to higher rates of cardiovascular impairment, chronic pain and fatigue. And certain age groups she found, notably adolescents, young adults and even older adults, seem to be particularly at risk as marked by a growing increase of depression, substance abuse and suicide. External factors may be accelerating the crisis, so research indicates, for example, that the internet and social media engagement excessively exacerbates feelings of loneliness depression and anxiety. And I say this because I want you to understand this. Connection is God's idea. Connection is not a good idea. Connection is not a suggestion for you and I. Connection is in fact something that we need to do. Connection is God-ordained, right? God ordained it right back at the beginning of creation. He breathed life into the lungs of Adam and he said, Adam, even though I'm giving you all things All things are under your authority. And even though you and I are going to have unbroken fellowship and communion every day, we're going to walk this garden together. Still, it's not good that you should be alone. In other words, God has designed us and created us for connection. He has always dwelt in divine connection with the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's through this this context of connection and relationship that we find God moves and he breathes and he speaks. And so he ordains it for his children that the best experience of this life and the life to come you and I will have will be when we live our life in the context of community, right? In the context of connection. Now, I've got to tell you, 
There's been times in my life where I've felt very alone. And I think if we're honest, we can take a moment to recognize some of the hardest times in our lives have been those lives where we've had to do things alone. Maybe you're going through something or you've gone through something and you've felt like there's no one there to go through it with you. Maybe there's something you've wanted to celebrate in life, but you haven't had anyone to celebrate with. Or how about who remembers those moments when the pastor says, hey, welcome to church. Why don't you stand up, turn around, give someone a high five and a hug and welcome them to church. And so you kind of get up and turn around and everyone's high fiving and hugging except for you. And so you kind of give the awkward smile and the funny little hand gesture that don't quite make the high five and you kind of turn around and sit back down, right? Or I think some of you can agree with me, you can sometimes be in a room full of people yet feel very alone and very isolated, right? That's not the heart of God for you and I. The heart of God for you and I, how he's created us, is that we would never stand alone, amen? And in fact, if there's one thought that I want you to take away from here this morning, it's this, that you and I were created for connection, but we drift towards isolation. You and I were created for connection, yet we tend to drift towards isolation. And it's so common, and I see this in our lives. God created us to have a connection with Him first and foremost, and then with others. But yet today in our culture, it's so natural for us to drift into a place where we find ourselves standing alone. But as Pastor Melissa said this morning, I want to digress for a moment and just add this disclaimer to you, and it's this, that... If you're here right now, maybe you've been coming to C3 Noosa for a little bit now, or maybe this is your first time, I want you to know that today you're part of this church, that in this moment you're part of this church, and we know that God is not building the church as a building, God is building the church as a people. You and I are his church, you and I are the body of Christ. And so Paul says it this way in the scriptures, he's talking to the Ephesians, and he says this, he says, you are no longer strangers You are no longer outsiders, but you've been brought into a family, and this is a place where you can belong. This is a place where you can belong. You belong here, and I want you to know from from my heart as a pastor and part of the team that you belong here in this house. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't even matter the magnitude of your sin. This is a place you can belong This is a place you can belong. Paul goes on to say that um, you belong here with just as much right as anybody to that name and title Christian. God is building his home. We know 2,000 years ago he laid the foundation of the church through the apostles and the disciples. But today he's using you and I to build the church. The Bible says he's building us together brick by brick, stone by stone. Upon Christ who we know is who? The cornerstone. He's building his church stone by stone. We're created for connection, but we tend to drift towards isolation, right? And you see this on social media all the time, right? Now, don't get me wrong. Social media is awesome and it can be a great tool. But here's the deal, right? You'll post a picture up. You'll put something up, right? Maybe it's your hairy legs on the beach. Hashtag El Natural. Hashtag vacation. Maybe it's putting up a post of your kid doing something amazing. And then what do you do? Let's just have a moment and be honest. What do you do? Every two minutes, you're looking at your phone. How many likes did I get? Who hit the heart button? Who's left a comment? Who thinks my kid's awesome, right? Don't lie. You all do it. We've all been there, right? My question to you is, why do we do that? Why do we do that? We do that because we have been created with a longing on the inside of us, really, to connect. We need connection. Each of us has a story that if we're honest with ourselves, we want somebody to hear. And whether you like to admit it or not, we want the input from other people in our lives. 
oh, well, Justin, I don't really care what anyone else thinks. Well, actually, you do. Why? Because you were designed for it. You were designed for it, right? And yet many times, the very thing that's supposed to be social drives us into isolation, right? The very thing that's supposed to be social, because, and Pastor Christian spoke about this last Sunday, we get the highlight reels, right? We get the highlight reels on social media. And so we're looking all the time at people's highlight reels. And what does it do? All of a sudden, it begins to stir emotions and feelings on the inside of us we didn't have before. Maybe they're feelings of jealousy. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's just FOMO. For all your oldies looking squint at me, fear of missing out, FOMO, right? Come on, I'm with it. I'm hip. I got it down. It's all good. FOMO. There you go. There's a word to take away today. Or maybe we're looking at the highlight reel and all your mates are at a party. You're not there. And all of a sudden, you start to feel quite hurt and dejected. What's going on? How come I'm not invited? How come I'm missing out? Have I done something wrong? Have I hurt somebody? I'm not sure what's going on. And so we begin to carry these feelings that begin to hurt us and begin to drive us into a place where we're not going to talk about them. We're just going to carry them and we start moving into isolation. The highlight reels, right? And what people don't understand about the highlight reel is this, that it takes time and it takes work, and it takes effort to keep up appearances. And there's a cost to it that many people don't consider. The cost is this. I've got to put aside the life I'm really living. I've got to put aside the struggles I'm really facing. I've got to put around, put aside how I'm really feeling out of people's view so that I can get them to see what I want them to see. And in the process of doing that, what we end up doing is building silos around our life to keep real people out and to keep the real us getting out, right? We put up walls of isolation, but here's the thing I want to challenge you on this morning. As Christ followers brought into the family of God, he calls us to fight against that drift towards isolation. He wants us to pull down walls of isolation. He wants us to break down those silos so we can begin to experience connection and relationship the way he's always intended it. I want you to understand this morning that you were created by God for connection. It's in every fabric of who you are. It's in your DNA. Nothing you can do will ever change that. You have a longing and a desire to connect. But the drifting is you and I. The drifting is something we can do something about. Amen. So very quickly this morning, just two thoughts I want to share with you. Two ways that you and I can begin to fight the drift. Everybody say fight the drift. Fight the drift. All right, here we go. Number one, just a very quick thought is this. Commit to becoming a God seeker. Commit to becoming a God seeker. You see, because the most important connection you were created for was connection with God. So the minute that you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, the minute you step into relationship with your heavenly Father, that is the most important connection to protect and to develop and to strengthen in your life. Romans 8.15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Father heart of God is this, that we would know Him and that we would be known by Him. And so that seeking Him and knowing Him should form the foundation upon which everything else in our life rests. When we ask Jesus into our life as Lord and Savior, what happens is this, we're being adopted into a family. Right, The Bible says you're no longer a spiritual orphan. God's adopted you into the family. You're now called a child of God. Amen. 
But there's a very real spirit in the world today known as the orphan spirit. And it's a spirit that drives us to look out for number one. It's a spirit that says, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. Why do I need to trust in a father? I can do this alone. I can fight alone. I can walk alone. I can survive on my own. If it's up to me, I'm going to succeed. I don't need anyone else in my life to tell me what to do. But that's not the father heart of God. That scripture, I want to remind you again, says this, that you are no longer a spiritual orphan. You did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Joshua was a God seeker. Joshua was a God seeker. And so here the children of Israel, we know, are delivered out of Egypt, place of bondage and slavery, and they're on their way into the promised land. And what I love about Joshua, like Moses is that his response in life was always, always seemed to be moving in, pressing in, seeking out, moving closer, going that extra mile when other people wouldn't do it. And so the Bible tells us this, that God has... I'm dying. I'm back. God had decided that Moses, you're my guy. You're going to be my deliverer. You're going to lead my people from Egypt into the promised land. And so what does he do? One day he decides to set on fire a bush with supernatural fire that does not consume it. And he waits to see what Moses is going to do, right? And so here comes Moses around the corner with his father-in-law's sheep. And he sees his bush alight, but it's not being destroyed by the fire. And he goes, this is interesting. I'm going to turn aside for a minute and go and see what's going on. And I want you to catch something here. The Bible picks up the story in Exodus 3, 4, and it says, we read when, everybody say when, when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside, he engaged. He engaged. He called out to Moses. My question to you is this, what would have happened had Moses... I think I'm dying. Batteries are going. That's okay. What would have happened had Moses come around the corner, seen the bush on fire, been a little bit scared about not understanding what it was, backed away in fear and moved on? What if he had taken the sheep and kind of passed by the burning bush? My question is, would God still have engaged him? Would God have called out to him? Would God still have used him as the deliverer? Or would God have said, you know what? I'm going to have to choose another to do what I've asked you to do. I believe God saw something in Moses, saw a heart in Moses that would drive him to look and to seek after and to draw near and to step in. That is the heart attitude I want to tell you this morning of a God seeker. You see, I want you to understand this. God had a call on Moses' life. You are going to be the deliverer of my people. But God didn't choose to shout. We love you, Kent. Yea, though I walk through the valley, I shall fear no evil. Come on, church. I want you to catch this. God had a call on Moses' life. He did not shout it out to Moses from heaven. Moses, stop what you're doing in the desert with this sheep. This is the plan I have for you. This is how it's going to unfold. Now, what does he do? He sets something divine and supernatural in Moses' life, and then he stops. He's quiet, and he waits to see what Moses will do. 
when Moses decides to come around the mountain and say, you know what, instead of walking away from something I don't understand, I'm going to draw near to it. The minute God saw that he drew near, he said, this confirms the heart I've always known is inside you, Moses. That all the days of your life when people shrink back in fear from my presence and don't want to come near, you have a heart that's going to seek after me. You're going to have a heart that presses in. You're going to have a heart that wants to seek after me. And so you know what? You're my guy. You're my deliverer. Church, I want to tell you this. The purposes and plans that God has for your life, well, he will begin to speak and reveal to you if you will make the decision to turn aside in your life from the challenges you face, from the rhythm of life, from the routine of life, whatever it is that you're juggling, if you will make a decision in your life to turn aside and say, God, in this moment, I'm seeking after you. I want to spend a moment drawing near to you, turning aside to you. I'm telling you, God will begin to speak into your life. And we'll begin to show you plans and purposes. But often he will wait. He will set something alive in your life, supernatural in your life. He will bring other people into your life that carry his presence. And then he will wait to see what you will do. And when you make a decision in your life to engage him and turn aside and fix your eyes on him and seek him, God begins to speak. God begins to reveal to you. Amen. We read another story in Exodus 24.9. We read of Moses taking Joshua and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel up Mount Sinai to meet with God. We know biblically that Mount Sinai represents a place of encounter, of meeting with God, of touching the divine. But through fear and not understanding, the children of Israel said, you know what, Moses, we don't really want this. We don't understand it. It's a bit much for us. How about you just be our mediator between God and us? Let God talk to you, encounter you, and then you tell us what he's saying. And so God, out of anger, said, well, that's fine. You now can no longer, children of Israel, come near this mountain. Stay away from it. If you touch it, you will die. But he gave Moses access up. However, in the story, we see that Moses has been called to the elders to go up the mountain, plus some of his leadership team, to meet with God. But here's the thing. Halfway up the mountain... The 70 elders start to get a little bit scared, right? They start to get uncertain about what they're going up there to face. They're not sure about the presence of God. They start questioning the journey. So what Moses has to do is say, all right, guys, we're halfway up. You hang here, 70 elders. My team, you stay with them. Look after them. Answer any questions they have. Joshua and I are going to continue up to the top of the mountain into the presence of God. And I want to ask you this. 74 people start up the mountain with the same purpose to seek the presence of God, yet only two of the 74 end up going up to the top into the presence of God. Why? Because I believe what, God, what they had on the inside of them truly were hearts that were seeking after God. They were God seekers. They possessed inside of them a soul that was hungry first and foremost for the presence of God. It didn't matter if they didn't understand it. All they wanted to do was get close to God. And so God drew them up to the top of that mountain. Amen. And as we know, the journey continues from slavery to promise. Moses builds a tent of meeting, a tabernacle that's outside of the camp of Israel. And that tent of meeting was designed for Moses to enter into and talk with God intimately. Right? The Bible says that he would talk with God face to face as with a friend. But what I love about this story and the scriptures in Exodus 33.11 is that it exposes to us the raw heart of Joshua. Joshua the God seeker, and I love this. This is Joshua when he's not fighting, when he's not having to do what Moses is asking him to do. This is Joshua behind closed doors, just on his own. This is Joshua. It says this in Exodus 33, 11. It says, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When he had, sp- when he had finished speaking to God, he'd return to the camp. He'd go, thanks God. It's been good. I'm going to go back to the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, 
a young man did not depart from the tabernacle. And I love that about Joshua. Moses, you can go. If it's all right with you, I just want to hang here. I just want to sit. I cannot leave the presence of God. I'm so hungry for it and taken by it and captivated by God in my life that where else would I be but at the, at the door to the tabernacle of the tent of meeting? I want, to, I want to hang here. If anyone needs me, this is where I'll be, Moses. Joshua, a young man, hungry for God, waiting and willing to draw near, lingering in the divine presence. You know what? I believe it's that heart of Joshua that God said to himself, you know what? I can fill this young man with faith to believe that when he walks through the promised land, I'm a God of the impossible. I can do it. When 10 other spies says there is no way, you've got to be crazy to try to take this land. But I believe it was that heart posture of Joshua that said, I'm not leaving your presence that gave him strength and strategy to lead a victorious army through one battle after the next until Israel settled in the inheritance God had for them. And I believe it was that willingness that God seek a heart to go, you know what, above everything else I'm drawing near, that kept him dreaming and hoping and believing and resting on the strength of God for 40 years, walking through a dry place of isolation, right? Joshua was a God seeker. And he placed the highest priority on the presence of God. And I want to ask you, are you a God seeker this morning? Are you, does your life reflect a life that leaves room for you to linger at the door of the tabernacle? Is your life one? Are you giving the highest priority to the word of God? Are you being intentional about pulling down those distractions and those demands that would steal your time with the Father? Are you giving yourself to prayer? Are you developing a habit of praise in the face of your problems? You see, I want to tell you there's no shortcut to the top of the mountain with God. But if you're prepared to stay close to Him, if you're willing to draw near to Him, God will lead you up that mountain into new encounters, church. Amen? So first way that we fight the drift of isolation is that we connect first and foremost to God. We become God seekers. Let that be the highest priority in your life. Do whatever you need to do to rearrange your life, to spend time at the door of the tabernacle with God. Because when you make a decision... In the face of reality, the world challenges whatever it is to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to turn aside into the presence of God in my life. He will begin to reveal things to you. He'll begin to speak to you. He'll begin to encourage you. He'll begin to strengthen you. He'll begin to give you new dreams, new hope, new vision for your family for the year. Amen. The second way that we fight the drift towards isolation is this. We get involved in a connect group. I know that doesn't sound deep, but I want to say it again. We get involved in a connect group. The best thing you can do to ensure that you keep running this race of faith and you finish well and you finish strong at the end is you become intentional about building godly relationships in your life. And I want you to hear me this morning. It's not about filling your life with lots of people. It's about surrounding yourself with the right people. You see, because I can have a whole lot of connection in my world, but if that connection is dysfunctional, if that connection is empty, if that connection is broken, it's only going to end up doing me more harm than good, right? You might be saying, well, hang on, Justin, hang on a second. Aren't we supposed to be reaching out to those that don't know God? Yes, we are. The Bible calls us to be a witness and a testimony to the light and love of Christ to those that do not know Him. But the Bible calls us to traverse those mountains and walk those valleys with people beside us who love Him that know him. We know the scripture, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12, it says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. 
Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I want you to understand this. God called Moses. God chose Moses. Moses, you are going to be the deliverer of my people. That is what is on your life. You have a heart that seeks after me, so I'm choosing you. However, he chose to surround Moses with people that would help him fulfill that call of deliverer. So I want to tell you that the plans God has purposed on the inside of you, the things he wants to draw out with you, have been designed in such a way that they require the keys of connection from people around you to unlock your potential. The reality is you're not meant to walk this journey alone, church. You're not meant to walk this journey alone. You see, God gave Moses Aaron to speak for him. God gave Moses Joshua to fight for him. God gave Moses Jethro, his father-in-law, to speak wisdom into him. God gave Moses her to be his strength when he couldn't be strength, strong, right? We read that story in Exodus 78, how Israel engaged in battle with the Amalekites, one of the first battles they faced out there in the desert. And whilst Joshua led the army into battle, what, what, what happens? Moses goes up onto the top of a hill with Aaron and Ur. And while Moses' purpose keeps his hands raised towards the heaven, we know that victory is the, is the Israelites. They start winning the battle. But the, the minute that Moses begins to lose strength in his arms and they begin to fall, so the tide turns and the Melekites start to overcome the Israelites. And what I love about this is that the moment he experiences weakness in himself, the moment he can't do it anymore, what happens? Those two men that have gone with him up the hill that are standing faithfully beside him say, you know what? It's okay. Sit down on this rock. We will lift your hands towards the heaven until you see victory, until you see breakthrough. And I, I recall that story because I want to ask you this. Who are the people in your life right now that will not simply wish you well, that will not simply send you their regards or hope with you for the best? But who are those people in your life that will journey up that mountain with you? Who are those people that will stand by your side no matter what and help you keep your hands raised in praise and worship until you experience breakthrough and victory in your life? Who are those people that will pick you up and literally carry you into the house of God when all you want to do is quit? Who are those people in your life that will stand with you when everyone else has given up on you? Who are those people in your life that will see what God sees in you, not just what you see in you? Honestly, if you can't think of any right now in your life, I want to tell you 2020 is a year you need to get intentional about building those godly relationships. Because one thing I've learned over many years is this, what I lack in my life, God can bring through the life of someone else. Amen. And I love the story of David and Goliath. We all probably know it to a certain degree. There on the other side of a valley stands a Philistine giant who days and days and days begins to taunt and mock and ridicule the army of Israel, speaking fear into them, telling them their God is, is there's no chance they can win. Who is their God? He's defying the, the living God of the armies of Israel. And then along walks the little shepherd boy into the mix of this situation, David. And he kind of walks into the situation that's going on and it's pretty heated and it's intense and it looks quite bleak. And he gives the giant a look up and down kind of a few looks up and down, and he says to, to, the, to Saul and the army, who is this giant? He's getting a bit angry on the inside of him. Who does this giant think he is? All I see is this giant on the other side of the valley is taunting the armies of the living God. 
Somebody clearly needs to shut him up. Somebody clearly needs to pull him down. Somebody clearly needs to take him out and looking around and seeing no one's going to do it. He says, I'll put up my hand and I'll do it. But this is what we miss sometimes in the story. You see, here's the thing. Goliath was not David's personal giant. Goliath was not defying David personally. Goliath was defying the people of Israel. Goliath was defying David's God. So here's the thing. When your people become my people, your giant becomes my giant. Your battle becomes my battle. Your victory becomes my victory. And so giant, you can stand there looking all big and mean and waving your spear and your sword and clinking your armor and carrying on. That's okay. But you start defying my people. You start getting on our families. You start getting on our marriages. Enemy, you start messing with kids. Now it's on. Now it's a different story. Now you're going to see a whole different side of me. Amen. Amen. And here's the thing. What the army of Israel lacked, giant killing faith, David had had years in the field honing that skill of faith, killing one lion after the next, killing one bear after the next. So that by the time he walks into the situation, he already has what the army of Israel need. This giant, who cares? Give me a minute and we'll sort it out. Why? Because I've, done, I've seen God come through in my life. He's been so faithful. Why do I say that? Because here it is. You don't have the faith right now. That's okay. I'll have the faith for you. You feel you can't love right now, I'm going to love for you. You feel so weak right now, you can't walk, that's okay, I'm going to walk for you. Why? Because your people are my people. Your giant's my giant. Your mountain's my mountain. So if I've got to carry you all the way to the top of your stupid mountain so you can get a new perspective on life and see the promises God has for you through your hell, then I'm going to drag you up the mountain because your people are my people. Your God is my God. Amen? Come on. We all have a story somebody needs to hear to help them get to the top of their mountain. We all have a story. Proverbs 18, 24 says this, A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Why is it that we make such a big deal about connection in this church and you hear it all the time? Here's why. Because we understand there is a very real enemy out there who is hell-bent on ruining your life and the life to come. Now understand that our position in this church is always one of overcoming, always one of victory. Why? Because we understand through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have victory. The devil is under our feet. The battle's already been won and we walk in that authority. But our position in Christ does not negate the reality that the devil is real. The devil is real. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Here's the truth I want you to understand this morning, church. The enemy will never stop seeking, never stop looking, and never stop waiting for an opportunity to prey on the weak and prey on the vulnerable. Don't ever believe that he's into the Sabbath, right? He doesn't work most of the time and then leave us alone sometimes so he can have a day off. He doesn't work like that. He is relentless and there is relentless. There's one thing and one thing only the enemy is hell-bent on doing. And it's this, John 10, 10. The thief comes only to, there's only one thing he wants to do, only one thing he commits all his time and effort to, to steal, kill, and destroy. Christ says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. Connection is so important because it protects us and it prevents us from becoming vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. 
The devil knows that if he can draw you out of community, if he can draw you out of connection, he can begin to isolate you. And when you find yourself in a place of isolation, you will find yourself weak and vulnerable. Amen? There's power in connection. And I know I've shared this analogy before, but I like it and I have the mic, so I'm going to share it again. And all of you born in South Africa say, Amen. Lions. Here we go. Lions, over thousands of years, have learned how to tip the scales of probability in their favor to have a successful kill. Lions are not haphazard hunters, right? They don't fumble out of the long grass screaming and crying, hoping that a buffalo is going to fall into their mouth, right? Lions are very strategic. Lions will wait. Lions will weigh up the situation for the perfect opportunity. And when the perfect opportunity presents, they move. They attack and they work together as a group. I want to tell you now, the devil is not haphazard in your life. He's strategic and he will wait for moments of opportunity to sneak in and steal, kill and destroy. And so what happens is the lion waits for the perfect conditions to align and then off they go. They seek and what happens, they cause panic in the herd and as the herd panics, they begin to move. And naturally what begins to happen as the herd is moving, so the young and the vulnerable, the sick, get left behind in the back of the herd. The lion will then be very intentional about looking for that opportunity. And the minute they find it, all it takes is a second to shift course and cut off that young or the vulnerable buffalo to the side where they can isolate it and overcome it. All it takes is a moment in isolation in your life, left to your own thoughts, left to your own hurts, left to your own offenses and disappointments for the enemy to come in a moment and steal, kill, and destroy in your life. All it takes is one decision followed by an action to move you outside of the place God has for you. That is why connection is so important because it keeps us where we need to be positioned in relationship and with God. It keeps us from becoming vulnerable But just when it seems that all is lost and the outcome final in those situations, often hope remains. Why? Because the first thing that happens with that poor little buffalo, when the lion's got it in its grip, is it begins to call out and it begins to cry out. And what you find happens is as soon as the panic calms down and the buffalo herd begin to see and hear the demise of one of their own, something very interesting begins to happen. All of a sudden, they stop running and they start coming back together. And they start to form ranks and close in shoulder to shoulder, horn to horn. And something very counterintuitive begins to happen in the buffalo. When everything in nature is telling them, get out of there as fast as you can, it ain't a great situation. They come together horn to horn, shoulder to shoulder, and almost to the beat of an unseen drum, they begin to very slowly advance on the lion. Slowly advance on the lion. And what happens at first is as they're moving very slowly, grunting and carrying on, the lion's not letting go of the prey. The lion's holding on. And as they get closer, so he starts to get a little bit more agitated and aggravated. And he's looking at the, looking at the lion and carrying on. And, the, and then probably within a couple of meters, the front row, heads down, horns out, off they go. They charge. At that point, the, the lion has no other option but to let go of the little buffalo and get out of there. It doesn't stand a chance. What I'm trying to say to you is that is the beauty of connection in the context of the body of Christ. When you can't do it and you're struggling and you feel the claws of the enemy in your life, all you need are people around you that say, you know what, we're not going to run. We're not going to concede defeat in your life, but we're going to stand with you and we're going to stand on the Word of God. And it doesn't matter if everyone else is giving up on you. We're not giving up on you. We're coming together. We're going to advance on the enemy. We're going to see you come through whatever it is that you're struggling with because we believe in you. 
That is, and in the face of that, I'm telling you, the enemy cannot hang on forever. There will come a moment where he has to concede defeat in your life and push back because in the face of a community that loves Jesus and believes in you, he cannot stand. He cannot stand. Amen. As we come to a close, let me encourage you. Sometimes in the process of isolation, it can be so counterintuitive to pick up the phone and call someone. Sometimes in that moment of isolation, it can be so counterintuitive to turn up on the doorstep of your connect group. But I want to encourage you on this. Sometimes the only way we see victory is when we come back together. Sometimes the only way you can see victory in your life is in the context of doing it with others. Because when you don't have the strength and you don't have the faith and you don't have the endurance That's where you need the Aaron and the hurt to stand beside you in your life and keep your arms lifted in praise and go, come on. I know it's hard. I know you're not seeing breakthrough. I know you have so many questions in your life, but I believe I'm going to stand with you and I'm going to believe until there's breakthrough in your life. Maybe that mountain seems so high, there's no ways you can ever get to the top and touch God. That's okay. We're going to do it together. I will carry you on my shoulders if I need to. Why? Because I believe in you. It's worth the one that is lost. It's worth the one that is lost. I want to stand with you. I want to believe with you. You're going to live your best life because I believe in you. When you don't believe in you, I believe in you. When it gets ugly, I see the beauty on the inside of you because God made you and you're special and He's called you. You're a child of God. Doesn't matter what the world said about you. Doesn't matter what the family said about you. Doesn't matter what your past has said about you. Doesn't matter how people label you. I'm here to tell you who you are. You are a son and daughter of God and you are loved. You're loved so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for your life. And he says, I know it's going to hurt him. I know it's going to be horrific, but it's worth it for you because I love you. So come on, let's get out of that mountain. Let's get up off the floor. Let's not worry about what's been. Let's look towards the future. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to take your hand and we're going to walk into the promises of God. And at some point, the power of darkness will be broken on your life because I'm not leaving you and I'm not forsaking you. We're going to do this together in connection. Amen. Why don't we stand this morning? Just close your eyes for a minute. Some of you have really struggled with isolation and loneliness. Feeling like you're doing it on your own. And while you're doing it on your own, the enemy's having a field day. And he's coming from all areas and he's attacking and he's relentless and he won't let go. Doesn't matter what you do, you find yourself stuck in that place. I want to tell you today's a day for breakthrough. Today's a day for freedom. Today's a day for release because you're standing with family. You're standing with people who believe that you can have your best life in Christ. And it doesn't matter how ugly your life is right now. We'll stand with you and we'll believe for breakthrough with you because that's what a family does. That's what the body of Christ is all about. Connection. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.